Blog Talk Radio.
Oh, well, I've been working here at the Dub Narcotic Studio trying to get things organized, uh, recording some people and myself and and uh, and working on uh, things here at the K label. Yes, here in Olympia. Who have you been recording with? Uh, well, Kendall Winter is the most recent um, record that I worked on, album, but I've done a lot of 7-inch singles as well um, with... Uh, I have a series called the Dub Narcotic Disco Plates where um, an artist will perform a song and we put it on the A side of a 7-inch of a and on the B side, under my nom de plume selector Dub Narcotic, I do a remix version of their song. So um, the most recent ones of that are Bobby Birdman, who came up here from California to record at the Dub Narcotic Studio, and Kendall had a, had a single, and uh, Carl Blau did one. And coming up is White Rainbow, which is a Portland fellow um, doing a single. It's called The Making of Thriller, and I'm really excited about it. It's like my favorite single I've done in a long time. Um, well, I mean, it, the difference is that I'm, I'm actually on both sides of this one, of this White Rainbow single. I, I, he has me as a guest vocalist on the A side, and then I do my selected narcotic remix on the B side, so. So it's kind of like a, a collaboration. What drew you to start doing the remixes? Uh, the single series started um, quite a while ago when, when Dub Narcotic Sound System first started. The first single we did was the first Dub Narcotic Disco Plate, and that was in 1994. And we've been doing them ever since, but... Only in the last couple of years have I revived the series as a um, as a a lot a lot of the dub narcotic disco plates featured the band that I was in uh, at the time called Dub Narcotic Sound System, and we've we've um, we've gone into hibernation. So I wanted to still do the singles, but um, uh, I like I like working with uh, with lots of different people. So it's a good way to collaborate with. Uh, with artists that I admire. Yeah. Are you still in that space? Because I, I want to describe to people that space that had the Donald Duck graffiti on the wall. Are you oh, still there well, or did you end up moving? No, we, had, we moved out of there because uh, we moved into the what had been the, the Jewish temple in town, the Temple Beth Hapala. Uh, the, it's the first Jewish temple in Olympia, and uh, the congregation got too big, and they moved two blocks west. And so we took over their, their former building. And uh, we're on, on the first floor, we have our Demnocotic studio. And on the second floor is the K offices. So that's where we're at. So it's only two blocks south of where the old building was, um, which, um, which has been turned into... They actually removed the floor from the studio. What had been our studio was in a a beautiful loft space that you're talking about. Um, And they they took the floor out of that to make the warehouse, the downstairs warehouse, uh, so they could stack beer twice as tall as they were. Uh, Now, you probably have a better memory of it. I I do, but how would you... Could you describe some of the graffiti? Because it really blew my mind. The graffiti that you're referring to was the... It was it was done by teenagers in the in the 1940s, when um, the the warehouse loft space had been um, had been used as a dance hall for a few uh, 
a few of the Olympia High School post-football game dances uh, because the usual venue for those dances was the YMCA, and it was being renovated. And so one of the students' father said, well, you guys can have your dances in my warehouse. So they um, they decorated the warehouse with the, with the graffiti of the students. And the, the beauty of it, uh, besides this, the, a lot of it being names or, or quaint phrases from the day or a few drawings, was that it was all done in tempera paint. It was all, no spray, not one drop of spray paint, which probably didn't even exist in 1946. Who knows? But uh, all this, all this, um, this graffiti was done in water-based paint, and is really very. It's still there after um, 60 years or more, coming up on uh, 80 years. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fragile, but de- it's delicate, but beautiful. Not unlike yourself. You <laughs> Break my heart in two. Did you end up taking photos of it? Because I want to see some, or maybe I there can are there are photos, and um, and we well when we first moved into the building, uh, which was in uh, when we first moved in there was 1996, 97, um, and the the class of 1946, who were the a lot of them were students who who had graffitied these walls. They were having their 60th, no, it was, I'm sorry, it was, yeah, they were having their 50th reunion in uh, in '96. And so, Nikki McClure, who had a studio up in that building, saw that in the paper, and she said, "Hey, these are the people that graffitied our 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 room." So she called uh-huh. the um, the number, and she got she she arranged it so that the um, the the reunion could come and and visit our um space and and reminisce and uh, we we um we had the class officers come first uh there was five or six of them and they were just so excited to see the graffiti which they hadn't seen for you know decades decades and decades and and um and uh, we we got some of them to pose next to their names that they had written on when they were only 16 or 17 and uh, but there was one woman who was a class officer she she said I've never seen this before because she lived out on the edge of town, uh, just outside of town, in on Little Rock Road, on a dairy farm. And she said that she never got to go to the football games because um, there were no buses then, and and she had to take the bus, school bus home after school. She could never go, stay out late and and see football games, and then go to dances afterwards. So she she'd heard about this room, but she'd never actually seen it. And she was really excited to see it. And interestingly enough, she was the grandmother of uh, Jared Warren, who was in a band on K called Carp. And she's like, "I think you know my grandson." I'm like, yes, we do. Now, do, is she still living in Olympia? Uh, I believe she is. But Jared is living in Los Angeles, unfortunately. Good for him. Not so good for us. What I understand. What keep, what what satisfies you about being in Olympia? Or I assume that's an assumption, but what draws you to stay in Olympia? The summers are quite divine. We're having one right now, and it, it's been described as paradise by some. Now, other people find that um, the weather 
the rest of the year is challenging. Um, but I've I've never noticed it too much. But I do notice it when it gets to be so perfect and there's raspberries for the and blackberries just growing all over and there's all sorts of fruit and people are in a pretty good mood and they're swimming and but there's so many other things. It's just a nice place to come home to. You've been Did here. Did you go up there? Mostly here and around Washington. Uh, I lived in eastern Washington for a while, various places. Yeah. How did you entertain yourself when you were younger? Uh, <laughs> watched a lot of TV and read. Like what? Went to the library, read a lot of books, listened to some wild rock and roll. Just rock your average, like... just average American. At what point? Did um, music shake your heart, little little average heart alive and make you want to start creating? Uh, when I first got into music, when I was like you know eleven or twelve, and really started to pay attention to it, and um, within a couple of years I had a guitar and I was trying to figure out how that worked, and uh, yeah, so as a teenager it, it seemed to. It seemed to make sense. I mean, punk rock said, hey, anyone can do this. I'm like, really? Anybody? Even me? Yeah, even you. So I took them up on that challenge. And I think that thread continues. Yeah, I'm still trying to, to work hey. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes? Uh, because what I never, when I was younger, I never connected with punk rock, but around when I was 19... I walked into a warehouse and there was a show with EQ and Miranda July and um, your band with Doug, the Halo Banders. And I looked around and I was like, ah, oh, same kind of thing. I was like, oh, I think, I think I can do this. Like this is where I belong, but I'd never found it before because before I'd seen so many uniforms and whatnot. So, like, clearly the feeling of K affects people, but how would you describe what K represents to other people from your perspective? What it represents? Yeah, like what Gosh. does it represent to you? Um, it's a it's a it's an outlet for people's creativity, uh creative express expression. It's it's a platform. For uh, for that, and um, yeah, that's it's a it's a yeah that's what happens. We work with people who are perhaps have a vision of something they want to see happen, and and we try to facilitate that and make it available to whoever might appreciate their work. Has anything changed from what you thought it to be when you first started it to now in your intentions um, with it? We're still working on a lot of the ideas that we originally had in terms of um, trying to facilitate these uh, visions of 
creative expression. Because uh, the reason I'm asking is there are people like me who I understand and can feel what K is, but and there is a simple foundation to it, but I'm trying to maybe if there's a way to explain it for people who have never heard a K band or who've never been to a show, um, maybe it is just that simplicity of we like to help people who <laughs> create what they want to create. But is is there any other like foundation that you could describe to people who've never heard it before? <clears throat> the Music that we work with, it may not all have us from draws from various genres. People that are creating in in different uh, in different ways. So it isn't necessarily that the music is tied together because it's all the same kind of music, but it's the people who make it. What they have in common is that they have a very strong idea of what it is they want to do, and they they go for that. So they could be doing singer-songwriter type folk music or it could be hip-hop. It could be punk music like heavy punk music like carp or um, metal. But it's the, the, the driving force behind it is a, is a, is a, is a vision of, of what the way the musical world should be from that person's perspective. Now, I remember once you um, were talking to an audience about um, your concern for the throwaway nature of something like a digital camera where there are moments that are erased that years later people will never be able to look back and see like someone they knew in the background of the photo. Um, is it important to you to preserve that uh, aesthetic or non-digital sound um we one of the ideas with k is document your scene and document what's going on around you and that's what k is more than anything else is is we're documenting the work by the creative expression by these these people um and uh whatever the format is it could be digital or analog it's just important that um that things are are set set down so that future generations meaning not necessarily uh human generations every 20 years but future generations of creative people which happen in much faster cycles of you know a year or two years or three can build on that and uh maybe not even build on what's gone before, but at least have comfort in knowing that they're not the only weirdos who tried to do something unique. Um, that can be comforting to know that you're not alone in the creative world. Absolutely. Um, well, who have you been listening to lately that you're excited about? Um Nakaido Kazumi performed last night in Olympia, and it was one of the most beautiful, just natural performances I've seen in a really long time. Uh, she played with uh, she played by herself, and then she collaborated with Tara Jane O'Neill 
in in within both of those it was it was really just i mean the audience was just laughing it was just joy it wasn't laughing in derision it was just in delight and uh it was a really good feeling in the whole room um yeah and uh there's some some bands that have some singles out that I've really enjoyed spent stickers from Seattle um Genevieve in Anacortes just put out a 45 with Carl Blau um I don't know what it's called but it was just listening to that one and um uh art museums they're a group from uh San Santa Cruz, California. They have a new album out on Woodsist label and uh pretty happening. Um just played a show a couple weeks ago in California with um Sour Patch and their band mm-hmm. from San Jose. <clears throat> and they're very uh just very punk. Very cool punk band. Those are some people. Um what about um is there anything Musically, that like a musical instrument that you haven't learned yet that you wanted to that you want. Yeah, to learn. I'm trying to get to the trumpet. I just haven't got around to it, but I'd like to play the. Do trumpet. you have one? Yeah, I've got one, and I just haven't got around. You know, I just, I, it's just a lot of projects. Well, tell us more about some of your other projects then. Tell well, I, I'm I'm working on several different. Double Narcotic Disco Plates at once. One with Mount Erie, um, who is Phil Elvrum, who also played last night with Nikaido Kazumi. Um, and uh, and then also one with Arrington de Dionyso and his Malakot Dancinga. They recorded a, some, they recorded at Double Narcotic because of the recent and unfortunate passing of uh, of the man known to the world as Captain Beefheart, who had been a big influence on Arrington. And uh, so we recorded, uh, he did a, a cover of one of his songs. And um, and then I was like, well, while you're doing it, let's let's record another song for a Dominicotic disco play. So we did. And um, we uh, recently recorded with a group from Canada called AIDS Wolf, um, another Michigan group called Swimsuit, came through here and they recorded a single for a double narcotic disco plate as well pretty excited to get back to that they're going to come out here uh, in, in like two weeks to finish doing the vocals on that So I actually just saw them play uh, oh. about a month or two ago before they went on tour I think to see you then probably yes they, they stopped work. off on their on their tour right in the middle or at the end of their tour they were here which Isn't that uh, the guy from Saturday Looks Good to Me? Fred Thomas is in that group. Yeah, Fred. Yep. Okay. And yeah, he he's living in Portland. Yeah, Ypsilanti. That's that's where he's from originally, and uh, that's where the band is based out of. But um, he's living in Portland right now, and uh, he's going to be playing at a little get together we have every summer called the Helsing Junction Sleepover which happens on an organic farm about 20 miles south of here. And um, and uh, it's like three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, August 19, 20, 21, if anyone's in the Northwest, you should come on by. It's going to be pretty What's fun. It called? It's called the Helsing Junction Sleepover. 
and there's a, a organic farm called Helsing Junction Farm, and they um, they host this every summer. And there's movies, and there's music, and there's the Chehalis River that you can go swimming in, and uh, people camp out in the orchard, and then there's lots and lots of music. So many different key artists and other people as well are going to be performing at that. That sounds absolutely amazing. Can you believe Could I Googled be... it while we were looking? Um, oh, uh-huh. Tender Forever is playing. The Matt yes, Tender Forever. Kendall yep. Winter, Bennett, Gary May. You guys can find out about it uh, at kpunk.com. Yeah. Got some info. That was a one-handed search. Ah. Talent. Well, <laughs> yeah, so Arrington is playing that. Joey Cassio, he's the who I toured with. I, <clears throat> at the beginning of July, I did a, a little tour of Northern California with Joey, and we played in, that's where we played in, in Santa, San Jose with uh, Sour Patch, and we played in Oakland with No Babies, and uh, we were all around uh, Fresno, Davis, Sacramento, Santa Cruz, all those places. But Joey is going to come back. He's lived here for 10 years, and he finally was like, i got to get out of Olympia. And he moved to... Uh, he moved to Oakland, and, and now it feels like he may never come back because he's having such a good time. But he's coming back just for the Helsing Junction sleepover. So, thank goodness. All right. Well, Calvin, it's almost already been a half hour, so I just oh, want to remind dear. everyone to <laughs> go to kpunk.com to find more about the music that Calvin creates, but also cool. uh, the many bands that um, he supported and create and... Uh, Output amazing and individual music, but um. Oh, well, thank you for saying so. Yes. Yeah. Well, I only say things I believe. So, um, well, thank you for joining me, Calvin, and yeah. I will probably just give you a call a little later to really catch up truly. Um, but once again, um, thanks for joining me, and um, I will talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right, everybody, once again, um, that was Calvin Johnson joining us here on Sarah Tea Time. Um, if you want to find more about him, head over to kpunk.com. And uh, this podcast will be up, or perhaps you're listening to it right now, on sarahteatime.com. Uh, next week is Herbie, oops, that's his real name, Valiant himself from Valiant Thor, and soon after that, will be Sam Valenti from Ghostly Records, uh, one of my favorite labels in the world right now. Thanks for joining me, everyone, and I will see you next week. Sarah T. Time. Weekly podcast with Sarah T. Go ahead, too. Oh, nice.